Pulp MX Network production. You cast me, I'll complete me till What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. That's all we need is more fake news, Pulp MX bullshit. It's quality, not quantity. All right, man? Welcome back to another episode of the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. This week, we're going to discuss episode 412. I'm your host, Darkside, from the Moto X Pod Show. Uh, this week in studio, we had Ryan Lockhart from Atlas Brace, The Noof, Eric Bernard, as well as Rick Sharon from Atlas. We're going to go over all the topics they talked about, whether it be Triple Crowns, Tits versus Tits, uh, the interviews with Justin Brayton, Dino, uh, Adam Intignap, the new Adam Intignap song, of course. Uh, it's got a bog. We're going to talk about all that good stuff. But I want to thank all of our sponsors, first of all. Those who ride dirt bikes, motorcycles, ATVs, and UTVs know Motorsport is the best place for OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gear, and accessories. Motorsport.com's dedicated team of gearheads have the knowledge and expertise to help get your ride working at peak performance and have you looking good, too. Whether you race on the track, ride on the trails, or commute on the street, make your next ride your best ride only at Motorsport.com. Guts Racing was established in 1990 as a premier off-highway seat manufacturing company. Offering high-performance seat covers and foam for motocross, supercross, and off-road competition, Guts Racing has worked with every top rider at some point of their career. From Steve Lampson, Jeremy McGrath in the 90s, to Ricky Carmichael, James Stewart in the 2000s, and today with Rockstar Husky, Pro Circuit Kawasaki, JGR Suzuki, and many more. If it's style and performance you want, you've got to come to the right place. Check out GutsRacing.com for info on the many products offered, such as the Phantom Light Seat Foam. Plus, you know all about Michelin Motorcycle Tires for the Pulpamex show. And now I'm excited to announce that Michelin Bicycle Tires is the proud sponsor of the Pulpamex Wrap-Up Show. In 1891, Michelin patented the first detachable B pneumatic bicycle tire. And to this day, Michelin continues to innovate and produce world-class podium finishing products for both road and mountain bikes. If you'd like to ride the same Michelin tires as mountain bike legend Cam Zink and the 2019 EWS champion Sam Hill, stay tuned for more info about a Pulpamex discount code on Michelin Bicycle Tires. Follow at Michelin Bicycle on Instagram and check out bike.michelin.com for all the details on Michelin's extensive range of bicycle products. Heck yeah, I am uh, thrilled beyond belief for all these great sponsors to help out with the Pulpamex Rapid Show. Looking forward to getting to the show here, so let's hang tight for just a moment and I'll introduce our guests. All right. Thanks to Michelin Bicycle Tires for coming on board. And tonight they bring us from the Atlas Brace, Ryan Lockhart, the Noof. But I'm fucking full of talent, dude. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Dark Side. Yeah, excited to uh, excited to talk some more pulp show wrap up here. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. This, like I said, uh, the first time I've actually had a chance to really talk to you. So um, I'm excited that you were willing to do this. Uh, but I also want to introduce from Motorsport.com for all your OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gear, and accessory needs. Please visit Motorsport.com, and they bring us Mr. Kellen Brower from Racer X. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? Glad to be on the show. Yeah, I, I'm glad to have you on the show. Uh, you I've never talked to, never met, just heard you on, uh, I guess it was like two weeks ago, and uh, really enjoyed you on there. Oh, thanks, man. I had to give you a little bit of props, man. You're getting dragged down in the voicemails every week. 
Yeah, you know, well, we're not, you know what, we're not even going to talk about that. I was told not to talk about it. We're going to let that go, but I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're going to try to do this. I'm going to do this a little different than I've done in the past, maybe slightly, um, but we're going to talk about episode 412 with, uh, obviously, the Noof in studio, Mr. Eric Bernard, and uh, your boss, Rick, was also in, but um, right off the bat, man, Noof, I want to start with you. Uh, you know, Steve asked you immediately if you there's any pressure to fill Galdi's shoes. We know Galdi's a great guest. Um, and later in the show, you, you had made a comment that it was the best first hour and a half you'd ever had on the show. You were really comfortable, uh, talking to JB. You're talking, you know, Eric obviously is a fantastic in-studio guest, made it easy. Just talk about being in studio and like, is there really any pressure when you go in or is it pretty much, you know, it's comfortable because you're with your buds and just talking moto? Yeah, I mean, there is for sure. There, there's definitely a little bit of pressure because, uh, you know, you're obviously got to live up to the pulp uh, reputation and try to add a little bit of spice to it and and whatnot. But uh, it, this was, I, I don't know how many times I've been on the show um, before. I was probably like my sixth or seventh time being in-house uh, co-host. Um, mm-hmm. But it definitely, when you have somebody, I had never met Eric before, actually. Um, so I was a little bit nervous about it, but... Going to Glendale, we actually ended up shooting the shit up in the press box for a little bit, so I kind of broke the ice rather than just freaking showing up 10 minutes before the show and right. going at it. So, so Eric was great. Um, it's always good to have somebody there that you can kind of feed off of, and, and he's so freaking easygoing, which obviously you guys know listening to him, listening to him talk. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then having JB and Dino and Seven Deuce Deuce on and, uh, Freckle and I'm buddies <laughs> with all those guys. Yeah. So it couldn't have, it couldn't have probably played into my favor anymore. Like when he has like a, a Roxon on or a Barsha, I don't, I don't know those guys. Okay. Personally. I don't have any connection with them rather than just being a fan of theirs so that makes it a little bit tougher when you have that type of thing so i feel personally the show kind of played into my into my favor a little bit on that as far as making it more comfortable that's interesting yeah i met eric at vegas last year just briefly in the press box and he he's a fantastic human being and yeah like you said i i can see how he is easygoing and just kind of loves the sport uh, and he probably instantly seems like one of your buddies. Yeah, no, he's super easy to talk to and obviously knowledgeable about the sport and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, that makes it that makes it easy. When Galdi and I have done them in the past together, it's always fun, but I feel like we start to get out of hand trying to one-up each other. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Digs, digs in there, so it kind of it kind of takes away a little bit of that. But you know, I gave all these huge props, like his freaking World Vet show, whatever oh. number that was. That yeah. was fucking epic. That was epic, no question. And even the last time he was on his A1 uh, show with Kiefer, of course, him and Kiefer freaking, they like two peas in a pod. Yeah, so yeah. They were they were great. So Galdi's awesome. I just always like throwing digs in there that I'm trying to Got be better than him because in, in his mind, he's a world champion. Now, <laughs> you know, true, true. His, yeah, his, his expectations of another co-host is pretty high. Clearly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, Kellen, you were in. A, was it was it last week? Two weeks ago? Yeah, it was last week. It was uh, when we yes, yes. were in studio, and then That's and right. then Skip Norfolk showed up towards the end of the show. Yeah. So was that your first time in studio? Yeah, that was my first time in studio, and I really was just kind of being Weed's chauffeur. He needed a ride up to <laughs> Vegas, and okay, I lived in SoCal and. He needed a ride, so it just seemed like it worked out. I actually wasn't expecting to even be on the show, but Steve was like, "Hey, grab a headset and come in here." So, yeah, definitely a cool experience. It was 
really surreal the first time, like seeing all the the stories and stuff that you hear Steve talk about, like mm-hmm. the Alessi uh, uh, note that he gave him in Canada. Like that was just funny to see that, and then the loads of jerseys. Man, um, really great experience for sure. The studio is really overwhelming. Um, when I got to be in studio at Vegas, Pookie let me go downstairs about forty-five minutes before the show, and it, I couldn't even handle it. Like I couldn't take it all in. I was just like, yeah, my mind hurts. There's too much to look at. Um, that place is rad. Um, wh- how about you? Were you nervous? I-, I assume you've been a listener before you were on in studio. Yeah, I've listened to the show for, I mean, basically since its inception in like oh, wow. 2010. So, okay. Yeah, I- I've been a longtime fan, but um, I was a little nervous just because I knew I wasn't really supposed to like be talking, and he had me sit in the far left chair uh, yep. that's actually on camera. Yes, so it the is. Chat was like, the chat was like ribbing into me a little bit because they're like, why is this guy so quiet and not talking? But I was muted the whole time. So that's why I jumped off the camera for the second half of the show. And then, and then he called me back in. So that was like the only nervous part of it. Cause it was like, well, I'm on camera, but I can't even talk, you know? Yeah. I was, I, I've been watching on Facebook for a long time. So I was seeing all that. And when you did go off camera, I was like, where'd that guy go? So yeah, <laughs> you get a lot of that. And, uh, but I thought you did a great job. It was really cool. Um, all right, let's get into the hot topic of the night, I think, was probably Triple Crowns. A lot of discussion over Triple Crowns. Um, you know, Eric Bernard said he's still kind of undecided on how he feels about them. Steve was asking everybody their thoughts. Um, Noof, you had your, your opinion of that. It's kind of dangerous for riders. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of good points about the way the riders feel about it. Maybe uh, a lot of work for not very much points, uh, not much more pay. Kellen, your take on... The studios, you know, ideas that their thoughts on triple crowns. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Dino when he was on kind of hit the nail on the head is that a lot of a lot of it comes down to starts, mm-hmm. and Dino isn't getting starts, and and usually someone like Braden who was on is getting starts, although he didn't get one at all this weekend. But if you can get a good start, obviously it's a little bit easier for you because you're not buried in the pack in this crazy everybody's on the gate for a heat race type of race. Um, but I thought the the studio in general did a pretty good job of kind of surmising the good and the bad. Obviously, it's good for a fan's perspective because they get to see more racing, more their their elite guys on the track. But then for the riders, more dangerous, more gate drops, as we saw. It took some guys out of the series a little bit. Yeah. So I thought, in, as a general uh, sense of it, you know, Eric and and obviously Newf and Steve, their ideas were pretty good about it. Yeah, Newf, you as a former racer. Um... You know, and obviously a fan also, I'm sure you can see both sides of it. Um, you know, I'm just going to ask you personally, what, if you had to race a triple crown, you know, what do you think your thoughts of it would be? You know, getting sh- three short, base shorter main events, but all in one night, it adds up to more racing. Yeah, well, from a, from a racer standpoint, I mean, man, just to get yourself focused for that many, um, obviously, you know, with the normal format with the heat race and hopefully you don't have to go to the LCQ in the main event, um, had you just mentally prepared like completely different? I mean, three intense starts, um, which obviously the 450 guys on the weekend did five starts because of the red flag. Like, dude, that's so dangerous. And especially like we had touched on, um, on the show, like, that wasn't exactly the safest start this weekend. I mean, those dudes were doing like 70 miles an hour yeah. by the end of the end of the stadium, and like, man, dangerous. Like, why, why that start? I mean, I guess maybe they don't really think about that um, when they're kind of building. I mean, you think they would, but I, I don't know. Like, man, it just 
you know what? If we had had some like freaking A2 excitement in there, maybe my my attitude would change. But mm-hmm. I just felt the races were like extremely freaking boring. Minus the first couple laps, um, you know, it was kind of like, all right, well, you're kind of looking at the clock, watching it count down, right? And I think with how they did, like, the 312s, um, the 312, the whole idea of the triple crown format, which I didn't touch on the show, um, the whole idea that the triple crown format is to see new winners, possibly, and new guys up front, um, i.e., uh, Vince Freeze, Justin Brayton, of course. Well, going back to the 12s, like, the, it, the, it had none of that to me. Like, no, it you're was right. The same. It, it, it didn't have that. Like, it didn't have Vince Freeze pull a whole shot and lead for six minutes um, and it came down to the last lap and, and rocks and got him. Like, there was none of that. And that's how they wanted this whole thing to shape up when they created this whole diet idea of the triple crown i i thought the races were too long like three 12s were yeah. a long time yeah you're um, right because so that's that's almost you're over halfway of a normal main event and by that time yeah. most of those elite guys have already established themselves up there like they normally do i think you're right you know steve's talked about not liking the 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 three different time uh time distances or whatever of a race but yeah i think shorter would probably be better uh, you know, and then that long start probably didn't help because typically the triple crowns are pretty damn exciting. Uh, you know, we heard JB talk about that. I think it was in the post race interviews that Steve did, but he also mentioned it Monday night that like watching it in the past, like it was super, super exciting. And it tor- normally it is. Uh, but you weren't the only one that said that was kind of a downer. Uh, you know, there was a caller that called in that said it was a bit of a bummer. Uh, I saw that quite a bit on comments on Facebook. Uh, on the Pulp Show when it was live Monday night, people saying it was a bit of a snooze fest. So yeah, you weren't the only one that you weren't the only one that felt that way for sure. Um, and, but I did like Justin Brayton's take, Kellen, where he said, you know, as a racer, he thought it, he enjoys it. It kind of lets him reset. Uh, and then as a fan, it's fun to watch, which is really what Feld's. You know, that's what they're worried about, right? They're worried about the spectators and the the fans. Right, and Davey's take was interesting too because he said that. The old format, which was the you know shorter main event, would have hurt him because he actually had more time in these races to get back to the front because he had True. bad starts this week. It was just like the one week that he had those bad starts in those <laughs> races. And I thought it was funny too, where JB even said that Chad Reed didn't even know how long the races right. were. They're in staging, and Chad's like, "How long is this again?" And he's like, "Well, they're all twelve. And Chad's like, "What?" Yeah, I so thought he was joking. It's kind of funny because. Like, from a fan's perspective, one of the the things I've heard is that this format is even kind of confusing to follow, and, and the guys on the track don't even know how long the races are in some sense. It's kind of funny how that works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, they, they've changed it here and there, and it's, you know, eventually, if they keep this thing going, it will be, you know, it'll be an old hat, and we'll get tired of it probably. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's entertaining, and it's something to talk about for sure. Um and to your point, Noof, it's, you know, something else Steve had said besides the long start, or you, you were just talking about, you know, them Feld or AMA or whoever thinking this process out. Steve mentioned that last year one of them was at Houston, and he's right. That That is a long way for those that haven't been to Houston. The pits are across the highway. They have to go out of their parking lot, the pits parking lot, into another parking lot, over a bridge, back around the stadium and down a tunnel, to get into the stadium at Houston, it's it's significant distance, not the best thought out process probably, 
Um, but, you know, as with everything in this sport or hell, half of the things going on in the world, it's a lot easier to say that stuff behind a keyboard when you're not the one actually dealing with it. So who knows what what they're dealing with when they're scheduling these things, but it definitely seems like they could do a better job, Noof. Yeah, I mean, just as you're saying that, like a whole bunch of things are coming to my head. I mean, there's there 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 is obviously a process of them thinking this out. I mean, they can't do it. Um, think about if they threw a triple crown in at Seattle, for example. Like, what the fuck if it rained? Do you right. imagine these guys trying to get their bikes ready for three three mud mud motos? Um, you know, the length of the track. There's a whole bunch of variables that can go in there. I mean, with Glendale, I mean, the pits are super easy to get to. It's close and all that. So, I mean, that all makes that all makes sense to me. I just, uh, I don't know, that, that start didn't, was not, I mean. Conducive. It was scary. It, it was scary watching watching yeah. those guys. And I can only imagine, like, five times those dudes had to go down there. Like, that's that's, uh, that's nuts. And, I mean, I, I, I'm on, on the same page as you. I think if they had been a little bit shorter, um, you know, maybe they would have played out different, um, a little more exciting. Um, guys trying to rush a little bit quicker to come to the pack, but like twelve minutes, like that's quite a long time. Oh yeah, they had time to do stuff, so it didn't quite make it as exciting. Everything was settled in by like you know seven, eight, nine minutes into it. That was really what where it ended off. Yeah, you're you're right, and yeah, hopefully they'll look into those things, and maybe we'll see some more changes coming. Uh, let's move on to a couple more hot topics that were talked about in the first part of the show. And throughout uh ken roxon uh steve says kenny's back and eric mentions you know three legit wins he clearly has the edge um kellen i don't know man uh do you feel like kenny has the edge right now is is eric and steve right is he back uh you know do you have a difference of opinion because i think it's still a little early to say personally yeah it's tough to say with kenny because his track record in the past has always suggested that he's better at the beginning of the season in these January, February months. And then he trails off towards the end. He has crashes late in the series and stuff like that. So while the speed looks great right now, I think that we really have to wait. And I know that the whole cliche of series doesn't start till Daytona, but <laughs> we have to wait until we get to that point in the season to see if Kenny's strengths are still going to keep pushing him all the way into the series. Like is his health back to a hundred percent? Obviously his speed is there, but I mean, his crashes have been almost non-existent recently. Mm-hmm. That might come back. It's, it's going to have to be something that we'll keep track of more towards when it gets to the East Coast. And he had problems with his bike setup at the first round, and it, it pertained to the whoops breaking down, which is going to happen more on the East Coast as well. I mean, all those kind of things you good have to uh, pay attention to in, in uh, moving East. Yeah, good points. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to ask you about Adam Cincerillo. Um You know, Steve, I think I asked, does AC still win? And you made the comment, you know, if not by Daytona, you don't think it's going to happen. Elaborate on that a little bit. Why Why not? I mean, that's still, there's still almost half a series to go or a number of races to go. Uh, What's your thinking on that? Well, I kind of look at it as, you know, when he came into A1, he was freaking, you know, technically he he had that win in the bag if he hadn't made made the mistake. Of course, Barsha was caught. Every weekend, yeah, he's still been the fastest dude in practice and this and that, but I feel like every weekend he's gotten a little bit worse. So if you look at his results, you know, he went from being a contender, almost winning A1, and then it's kind of slowly dropped down. And I mean, 
he was he was not like his, even I mean he DNF the last one, but if you look at his results from the triple crown, I think he went three six seventeen, right? So it seems like it's a trend to him kind of dropping down. I mean he wasn't really fighting for any any wins um, in Glendale this weekend, and I just know what momentum's like, and I know everybody always says, oh, once you catch the momentum, you know it's all game. But I mean these practice times, he's going out there and he's showing that he's the quickest guy, but. Sooner than later, the rest of the competition is going to be like, nah, Adam's fast as again, but I'm not too concerned about him in the main. So it, right. that's all momentum. That's all momentum that builds up. And, it, you know, Adam can be the strongest mental guy ever, but that shit weighs on you over time. Like, God, I'm still, I'm the fastest guy again, but I can't get a start or I can't, I can't make it happen. Um, and I just feel that if he hasn't won one by, you know, Daytona-ish type thing, that the season is just going to play out and he's going to be thinking about getting through healthy and moving on to outdoors. Okay. Yeah, you know, Steve, going into the season, guys, Steve uh, Steve was like, no, AC's not going to win. Uh, this was a big debate when Daniel was on. Blair and Blair said, you know, oh, AC's going to get three wins. Steve was adamant that he didn't feel like AC would win a race this year. And at A1, after qualifying, he changed his tone. But, you know, the way things are going and with the, the, you know, the facts you just gave, Newt, that it's a possibility that Steve could end up being right, you know, if things continue to taper down or even just taper off and stay where they are. Yeah, uh, yeah he, he may end up being right. Um, something else I want to talk about, we get this stuff, we see this on social media all the time, and it got brought up with a caller. Jim calls in, and he made the comment about Lee Diffie. Uh, he felt like Lee Diffie in the first three races as a commentator did a lot better than Ralph. And he hell he went as far to say is Ralph is doing a disservice to the sport. Um, people get really wound up about things like this, and you know they they love whoever was there before. It seems like you know the new guy, it, or it, it goes back and forth. You can't ever make anybody happy, basically. And Eric Bernard was making some comments, Kellen, about uh you know how difficult it is to be an announcer, stuff that people don't see, having somebody in your ear all the time. Um, what are your thoughts on you know the discussion of the announcers or just just in general people not being happy with whatever they have at the moment? Yeah, I mean, well, Steve basically had said if you're in that position, you'll never win. I mean, there's always going to be haters or mm-hmm. there's always going to be people that like you. As we can see, people like Lee, people didn't like Lee, people like Ralph, people didn't like Ralph. So you're just never going to win. And what Eric's saying, or what's saying there is, is very true. You know, you, you have a producer yelling in your ear all the time trying to get you to transition into a, an ad read or transition to a commercial break or something like that, and sometimes you don't always get to focus on that. But what the caller was saying is kind of true about Ralph, too, where there's things that happen on screen which you'd think he'd be paying attention to that he misses a lot of. And I'm not going to say Lee was better at that or worse because it was a short sample size, but it did seem like Lee was bringing a bit more professionalism, which is what the caller was going after, that Ralph was doing a disservice because he's not bringing that level of expertise and professionalism to the booth and conveying that back to our fans. So I could, I could agree with both sides a little bit, you know? Interesting. Okay, so let me ask you this, and I'm going to ask you too, Noof. Uh, you know, a lot of people, big fans of Weege. Weege does a great door outdoor uh, in the outdoors so we have all the time people asking, you know, why doesn't Weege do Supercross? Why don't they hire Weege? Uh, if if Jason Wygant became the announcer of Supercross, Kellen, uh, do you think it would be better? And I know he's your boss. Maybe you don't want to answer. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> would you think that that would hush a lot of the negativity? It's tough because 
I think it would be better from like an analytical standpoint because he's so deep in the sport. He would know which riders he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But then I think fans maybe wouldn't gel with that or relate with that. I mean, Weed is a very personable guy and all that, but fans are almost used to Ralph at this point. And like we saw with Lee bringing someone new in was like unheard of to some fans. It's like Ralph is Supercross. How do you change Supercross? Yeah, well, yeah. Weed is good. We would we would do a good job for sure. But it would be a process of changing these fans' minds into what we is doing is actually good for the sport and not just, uh, we need some guy yelling at the TV all the time to, to make it interesting. Yeah, fair. Uh, Noof, how about you, man? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. You're never going to make that situation perfect. I mean, the whole idea is, you know, and we we as super fans, we'll call us ourselves super fans of the sport. We really analyze, and most of these people that are talking shit on 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 Ralph and even Ricky and Lee, I thought Lee did a great job for coming in for three rounds. Kind of, I mean, as far as I know, he doesn't have a deep history in motocross or supercross. Um, I'm sure he follows it somewhat and this and that. I thought he did a, I thought he did a pretty good job. But I mean the whole idea is for them for the or the T V side of things is to kind of dumb the sport down a little bit to kind of reach out to the more the more generic fan that maybe watches every couple weeks or, you know, they're over at a buddy's house and they're not a fan of the sport but they can watch it. I mean you know that's where that's those people those types of people that aren't like super fans of the sport they're not saying shit on vital and all these places they don't they're just like there to watch the race yeah. it's the super fans that are doing it and you're never going to be able to find the perfect mix although i do believe that you put Weege in there and you still have Ricky in there, um, and you possibly throw Daniel Blair in the middle of all those three so you got three guys in the booth that's People are going to give Weege more respect, the super fan side of it, because he has more of a connection with the riders. He knows the riders by, you know, personal. personally he knows them and this and that. And it it's probably comes down to more of a respect thing from, you know, your love for the sport. Like, Ralph's not out, like, riding or he's not around the sport 24-7 like Weege or Daniel Blair, right? Right, yeah. That's true. Good point, yeah. Um, and I, I agree with you. Um, I do want to point out one other caller. We don't have to really get into it. I just found it funny. Uh, the guy who called in and said he got blocked by Weed for calling him the L- or by Chad Reed for for calling him the LCQ champion. Uh, that seems like a <laughs> pretty pretty. That's Chad Reed right there. I I thought that was pretty funny that the dude called in about that. Um, all right. So the first phone guest of the night, Justin Brayton, always laughing, always positive, a fantastic guest every time. Um, Kellen. What do you think of the Brayton interview, man? How how what do you think of how they handled it? The, what they got into? Um, yeah, I thought the interview was great. I really liked the back and forth that Brayton and Perinard were having. Like, oh yeah, I want to go to Hawaii. Oh yeah, let's make it happen, kind of thing. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Brayton said that his favorite race was the MGM one, the <laughs> yeah, U.S. Open. Right. Uh, I was like taken back by that because he's been to so many of these overseas races, seen a lot of different things, and to say, I mean, MGM, I thought was a good race, but. Um, I mean, I guess from his standpoint, it was a money maker and nice because it was in the USA, but it was basically like bursty in the USA, so mm-hmm. didn't have to travel very far and still could do that. Um, but it was just really cool to hear his perspective on the overseas races and you know how good things like old bursty were versus new Paris Supercross and 
and you know how the Australian series promotion runs it versus what Pernard's doing with his side of things. I, I thought in general it was just good banter back and forth between everybody. Absolutely, and and Noof, I really like uh, you bringing up the question about. Um, like we're the 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 topic of like racing is the best testing, and and JB kind of mentioned that's how he chooses to do things. These off season races, uh, the topic got brought up about getting injured. Uh, you know, Steve made the comment that trainers, some trainers and teams won't let their riders go overseas and do these off season races, which he thinks is dumb. And I tend to actually agree with that because I think you can get hurt training just as easily as racing. It's I mean it's a dangerous sport no matter what. Um, but good question, man. I really like that. Um, and again, as a racer, you know, if you had that opportunity, would you be on the JB train of being able to go to get gate drops for training or would you, you know, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, not that my career ever got to the level of <laughs> JBs, but that's why, that's why I wanted to ask it because when I was kind of growing up and even at the end of my career here in Canada, man, I was racing as much as I could because at that point I was trying to make money. You know, I wasn't necessarily the highest paid guy in in Canada I I wanted to race to make money Mm -hmm. and there's no there's no better practice than a gate drop I mean the racecraft um is is unbelievable and you can see that from JB I mean he comes into the series freaking firing right like he's ready he's ready to roll um and you know I respect that from him. We live in a, in a day and age. It doesn't matter if it's from all the way from kids on fifties to your best pro rider ever. These guys aren't racing as much as they used to. I mean they're they're picking and choosing and and doing this and that. But yet you know they they want to always be ready and healthy and stuff. But I agree with you, Darkside. I mean, dude, you can get hurt like at the practice. You can get hurt anywhere. Anytime you throw your leg over a motorcycle, it's in my opinion, is equally as dangerous as even a even a race situation. So yeah, I, I just I, I applaud him. That's why I want to ask you know that question in particular because clearly he is doing more racing than anybody else through the year. In my opinion, even though he's not doing outdoors, absolutely, yeah, and it, I think it shows, man. He's like in race shape and ready to go. And I, I think I don't know. I think it's a cool program, and he's having fun. And hell, getting to share it with his family. Uh, you know, which you could tell he he loves and appreciates makes makes his him want to keep doing this is in you know his career's kind of winding down age wise you know like Chad Reed, but we see like I mean how much better he's doing than even a, a Chad Reed right now right I mean Chad Reed's a former champion one of the greatest ever to do it, um, but he's not doing anything in the off season apparently and that's showing now and Jer- uh, uh, Brayton is still race ready and having a blast and and uh you know i think it shows really that right there to me shows what program works and obviously chad's not doing what some of the other guys is doing where he's training every day but i, I think jb's program is a good one um yeah and he's yeah. making money too <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right yeah heck yeah um all right kellen i want to ask you something uh so being in studio last week what was was there anything that stood out that surprised you uh, you know, just during the show or even like what t- talk about maybe what went on during the commercial break that some some of the listeners would like to hear about anything in particular? Um, well, I mean, I, being a longtime fan of the show, I got very excited when Pookie brings down the Pookie snacks. So, I mean, that's always an exciting thing, um, which I think no, Noof, like Noof missed thing. out on that. I think you didn't get Pookie snacks. Oh, man, no Pookie snacks this week. No. Oh, damn it. Well, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry about that. Kellen. No, you're good. Um, no, I think just in general, it's kind of cool that 
when we when it goes to commercial break, like it's it's basically just a continuation of of the discussions that were already happening. Like it's not like everybody disperses and gets quiet. Right. Um, we all just kind of continue on with like, oh, what was that caller like, or what did you think about this? Or I mean, Steve last week was uh, swinging the signed baseball bat he got from Chris Betts <laughs> around in the studio. He's just standing there swinging it around. Yeah. So. It's just kind of a you know relaxed little vibe, and then sit back down and get right back into the show. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's it's. I w- I wish. Well, I know the cameras are going now, and there's more video footage, but I kind of wish during the commercial breaks, every once in a while, he'd leave those things rolling where people could see. Because you guys probably don't watch on Facebook, but instead, right now, it's just commercial stuff. Like you see the the sponsor names scroll through, so you don't see the people sitting in studio. Uh, I think it'd be cool if he could let that roll, but then maybe there'd be some stuff that <laughs> you guys would forget about and not want out. But uh, how about you, Noof? Um, and all the times you've been in studio, is there anything like just really that stands out to you that was cool or extra special about being in studio on a particular night? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of cool things. I mean, the, the, the thing that probably a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, obviously the show is, like, on average, like, around five, five and a half hours. It's crazy how quick it goes by. Like, yeah. when you're in the moment and you're talking the shit with the guys and it, the commercials, well, this time was my first, well, first year in 20, first time in 2020 that I did the show. The commercials are, are shorter because we barely had time to freaking eat. We were, like, jamming food down our throat, and it was like we were back on air. So the time freaking flies by. Like, you start at 5 o'clock West Coast time, and next thing you know, it's freaking 10 o'clock. Yep, it's yep. amazing with how quick it goes by. And, I mean, five hours sitting anywhere, you know, that, think about sitting on a plane for five hours. You don't want to poke your eyes out. Yeah. But uh, it goes it goes quick, especially pour up a couple uh, couple vodkas, and you know, almost want, you almost don't want the show to end in a sense. Yeah, it's funny the way you just talked about that. It made me think of like even being at a race, right? So we're watching a race. So you're watching the race yeah. and the commercials when you're sitting at home or you're at the stadium and you're just waiting for the next race. It seems like those times in between take forever. But if you're the racer. You're like, oh my god, I don't have enough time to get ready. And so when you're in studio, the time during the commercials go fast. But when you're listening at home live and you can't fast forward through the commercials, they feel like they're forever because you just want to get back to the content. But uh, yeah, that's interesting because I, I, like I said, I got to sit in the one time and um, it did fly by. Yeah, it went way too quick. I didn't want it to be over. I agree. Um, yeah. There's a couple things in the X brand tear offs that I made notes on. Um, uh, Kellen, one of the questions was, can Reed turn this around, right? This has been another topic this season. Uh, four LCQs in a row, uh, you know, and they, it was mentioned that the, the field's going to get thinner, which it basically already has. I don't know what Bogle's time frame is going to be and, or uh, Bo's, uh, Blows. I don't know when Blows is going to be back. So it already has thinned down a little bit. But I feel like Chad turned this around is not just getting – not going to LCQs, but like getting in the top 10. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he can turn this around? Because everybody in the studio felt like, yes, with some more riding and more time, he will. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a time thing, like they said, where if he gets the time needed on the bike, he'll get back to a level that's reasonably comfortable. Uh, regarding Bogle, Bogle is going to sit out this weekend in Oakland. We just got news that today. And then Blows has you know, a laundry list of injuries, unfortunately. So I think he's going to be out for a while. So yeah, that does, at least for this weekend, take a couple guys out of the running. 
Um, but Chad himself, he went down in the first turn of the final main event, and it sounds like maybe he even re-injured some of the rib injury yep. that he has uh, from the offseason. So um, if he stays healthy and can get more you know, speed time during the week, he'll eventually build to a level that we're accustomed to of Chad where he can get inside of the top ten and actually run the pace of those guys. But with as little time on the bike that he's had and the injuries he's been going through, I think it's just going to be a slow process. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Noof, a, a topic that got brought up that was directed at you, and I want to ask a little bit more about this, was uh, who's the next rider to go to Canada? And you mentioned Bogle maybe coming up there in the next couple of years, especially if things keep going the way they're going. Um, and when, when the way that sounded almost when I was listening, it was like, well, okay, the way it was worded or brought on by the, the, the guy that asked the question, I guess that's Moser, um, is like, well, it's their last, not their last chance, but just where they go when they can't race in America anymore. But I feel like the Canadian series is getting better uh, with the new the new format, and uh, you know, so I don't know that going up there is a bad thing for any of these riders. Talk about what what what's a good reason, or what's good for these riders going up there. I mean, what's the positives of being in Canada and the competition? Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, yeah, you could look at that a couple ways. Yeah, it, it's not the it's not the end of their career, and they're just barely hanging on. It's you know, if you look at Phil, Phil's probably a prime uh, a prime example. Phil could still be racing in the U.S. and being competitive and mm-hmm. making mains and being you know eleven through fifteen type thing, and obviously being a easily easily a top ten guy outdoors with some support on a B level team. Yeah, he wouldn't have a factory ride. There's I don't believe in believe that would happen. But what it allows these guys to do so. Bogo came to my mind first because I feel like he's struggling so bad. He's not getting the results. You know, he's on a team that is obviously expecting him to perform and be a top 10 guy at the very minimum, at least in my opinion. It allows him to come up here and still make good money and be on good equipment and and race to win. And a lot of these guys, like Phil, you know, he hadn't won anything in a long freaking time, right? You know, he was a solid U.S. guy. Yeah. Um, and Bogle, the same thing. One, he hasn't, well, I guess he did win a Supercross a couple of years, or he won something a couple of years ago. I don't remember what it was. But um, it gives these guys the opportunity to win again, which winning makes it fun. There's no question. Like when these guys are competitive, battling for podiums, on the podium, spraying champagne, fans, <laughs> the whole deal, it yeah. kind of rejuvenates their whole career. The problem is, though, is that once they come up here, and this is my opinion, it's very rare for them to be able to come up here for a couple of years and rejuvenate it so much that they can go back to the U.S. and get a factory ride or at least an A-level team ride it's pretty much over um that's interesting that goes. yeah i hadn't really been out of sight out of sight out of mind i mean look Millsaps came up here the one year dominated everything went back to the u.s and didn't really have anything and then he retired so um good point it's kind of when you say it's over yeah they can come up here like even a, a freaking dean wilson he can tough it out for another three four years in the u.s he can come up here and have at least five years of success and when i say success winning championships winning a couple hundred grand a year yeah it's not a couple million like the opportunity in the u.s but a couple grand a couple hundred grand a year um up here and kind of hang out a little bit. It's that, not yeah. as grueling. Yep. It's not as taxing. You don't need to be at 110 all the time. I mean, yeah, it's still tough and the competition's deep. Um, but, you know, that type of rider can come up here and, and make it fun again for them. 
Yeah, that's I like that point because I was just thinking it's like a lot less stressful. You hear Steve talk about and when Galdi's in talk about like the guys in Canada will go to another team's truck and hang out, you know, and they're having a little more fun in this sport. It should be fun. That's why we all start riding to begin with is because we love it. And I think going to Canada seems to not only rejuvenate maybe some of the careers a little bit, but their their passion for actually racing, it seems like. So, uh, you know, Bogle's a good dude. And if he does head up there, it'd be interesting to watch. We'll see what happens. Um, okay, I want to talk to you about this, Noof, and, and Kellen, too. Another in-studio type thing. Noof, you, you got the opportunity to try to read, do the Michelin read, the 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 uh what's the word i'm looking for? the copy i it's not easy man it's not do, easy doing that cold you did do the one yep. later for maxima and i thought you did you did a lot better job with the maxima one but i guess my point is there is a lot going on in studio uh, a lot to handle reading those reads and making it sound as smooth as steve typically does is really an art form uh and, and not to mention taking the calls and all the different things he has going on. Talk about that a little bit. You know, you've been there enough times. You see everything. Uh, just kind of give the listeners an idea of what you see. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on, and it's crazy. I was always blown away with um, the very first time I ever went. It was just literally me and Steve in the studio, and I was blown away with how – well, one, he's so awesome at the job, and that's not to freaking blow him at all, but he's really good at it because yes. the amount of the amount of preparation that he actually puts into it. I mean, I, I would be stressed from freaking Saturday night trying to line up the get on everything. It kind of goes pretty damn smooth, and he, you know, texts a guy and he says, "Yeah, I'll come on." He says, "Okay, seven fifteen, done." And then and that's all it is, and yep. he makes a few notes on the questions and stuff like that that he's going to ask, but. Dude, like he threw that sponsor read in front of me, and I was like, uh, I don't even know. Like, I, where am I supposed to read? Because there's like other shit on the paper, um, and <laughs> he can read them freaking off the top of his head. Yeah. So. And you know, I was trying to focus on it, and then I was trying to listen to myself, hear hear myself, to make sure I was doing it right. And I was like rushing, but then try. I was a, it was a disaster. So I kind of was a little more mentally prepared for the Maximum USA one. But uh, you know, he's such a veteran at this. Like he can freaking you know, just roll it off, and that's always the thing. Like, he's always like, ah, he's always joking, come by this, or he's always talking about how he wants to sell pulp. Well, <laughs> pulp isn't pulp without Steve. No, like that, no. Without, without Steve sitting there in that big fucking chair that he has, it's not, it's not pulp, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right, and um, you know, I he may get mad at me for this, but you know, I have I have my own show that I do, uh, and it's nowhere near at the level of what he does it, but. You're right. The time frame, the time that it takes, uh, you know, I start trying to book guests usually Sunday night for our show. Our show's on Tuesday, and you you're waiting for somebody to respond, which they may respond right away. They may not respond till the next day, and you go, "Well, shit, do I do I try to get somebody else?" And then sometimes guys cancel at the last minute, and you're scrambling along with trying to do all your social media stuff. And like, yeah, the I pre-record our show. So I can mess up and, and start over, but doing it live is very difficult. Kellen, uh, last week, what about the technical side? With You've got, I guess, last week, Talon, I think, was in produce, the producer seat. Uh, you've got Marks in there doing the cameras now. Uh, you know, Pookie in and out. You've got all the different things going on. What, about, what do you think about it? What did you see? Yeah, it was pretty mind-blowing from my perspective. I snuck behind Talon at one point and just saw his screen, all the list of callers that he had and, and what he was writing to Steve so that Steve could see what 
you know, line the callers were on. And then another thing that, I mean, some people that maybe watch the Facebook feed will, will know this, but I'm one that just usually listens to the audio. I never realized that when a guest is on the line, Steve is kind of like doing a little bit of like air traffic controller with the, stu- the, the guest in studio saying like, hold or yeah, you ask the question, like yeah. pointing around and then I'll look over at Mark and, and point at him or say something like that. Um, so sometimes if you're watching the Facebook feed, you'll maybe see him kind of pointing in different directions. That's basically just his way of saying like, all right, you're asking the question next, then you, and then Mark will handle it, and then we'll go over here. And, and like you don't get that, obviously. Yeah, you don't get that from listening to it because you just think, oh, it's just, you know, they're all bantering and going back and forth. But for the most part, he's doing a, a heck of a job of kind of controlling where the conversation's going and who's yeah. asking what question. It really is an art form. It's it's not easy. There are a lot of podcasts out there, including ours, um, but it takes it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. So, yeah, anybody that, you know, you want to talk shit when Steve makes mistakes. There were some mistakes. I mean, uh, we, we had... Uh, Marks, you know, interrupt one of the commercial reads, and you know there was a little bit of an issue there. But I mean, it's just it's every once in a while there's sound issues, but it it it's really a lot more difficult than people understand. Uh, all right, let's talk about Dino real quick. Next phone guest of the night. Uh, actually, before we do that, let me do the sponsor reads real quick, or just briefly. I want to thank Michelin Bicycle Tires, who are back on board for 2020 with the Pulpamex Wrap Up Show, along with Guts Racing, best seat covers and seat foam in the business. And, of course, motorsport.com for all your OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gears, and accessories. Hit them up. Go to pulpamexshow.com. Uh, sponsor links are on there. Discount codes are on there. And, of course, uh, we're going to do Hello Pookie later this evening. If you got questions that you want to talk to Pookie about, you want Pookie to answer, email me, darkside at pulpamex.com. I'll get those going. Um, yeah, but anyway, support the sponsors. But yeah, Dean Wilson, another, just like Justin Brayton, always a great interview. Very, very open, uh, Kellen, with some of his comments about being uncomfortable, being shook from his Monster Cup crash. I was actually, I've talked to Dino many, many times, but I was pretty surprised by this interview and his openness, Kellen. Yeah, it's always refreshing to hear when guys in general, you know, Dean or not, just are very open about where they are with their uh, situation. And obviously it's no secret Dean had almost no time on the bike coming into the season. And then because it was, you know, an injury to that lower extremity, he doesn't have the same grip level, you know, specifically in the whoops as as he was talking about through the, you know, the whoops and being able to track the bike and keep things straight and stuff like that. So he's obviously been struggling with that. But it was refreshing to hear that he was actually – pleasantly surprised to go right into the main at A1 and finish 13th because he thought he was way further off. And um, though it hasn't really progressed maybe the way he has, it was nice to hear that he's in a pretty good mindset about where his season is and where he thinks he can go moving forward. Yeah, I knew, again, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the, stu- uh, the show being comfortable with a guy like Dean. Um, just talk about, as long as you've been listening and you've been in studio, the way Steve handles guests like this. I mean, uh, you know, we, he's been compared, or I've compared, or he talks about, you know, being like a Howard Stern listener, a fan of Howard Stern. Stern has always been known for making his guests extremely comfortable. Um, it's a more of a long-form interview than when you see somebody on like a, a Tonight Show or whatever, so they can get in, get the guy comfortable, and get info out of them that a fan or watcher, listener would want to hear. I think that's what Steve does. He Even with the guys that he doesn't necessarily get along with as well. He has this way of once he has them on the phone of getting good stuff out of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, 
he asked the right questions, and I mean that all leads into how you ask the question. You can't just come out of the gate fire and you know if you're trying to get into something deep, right? And he makes him feel comfortable. And but I believe that all starts with the relationships that he has with a lot of these guys. I mean, yeah, of course, there's some guys that he probably doesn't talk to near as much, but that's why this fucking guy goes like Steve goes to the track at freaking eight o'clock in the morning on a Supercross and starts making his way around and talking a little bit here and talking a little bit there because the way he talks to them in person is the way he's talking to them on the show, yep. um, which obviously brings brings the comfort level and the trust level too, right? I mean, having a having a relationship all stems from many different different uh, branches of the trees. So, um, you know, even though I say like it's crazy how he pulls this all together the last minute for the show, I mean, there's a reason why he's still going to the races. Of course, he would like to skip more races, but that's where you're getting the good stuff. I mean, he's, he's constantly, his head is, is going, you know, his mind's going a million miles an hour throughout the race day, you know, trying to get into all these little avenues of storylines and, yep. and stuff like that. So that's where it really all starts. And I mean, obviously Dean's pretty open anyways, but just how Steve opens up the conversation with these guys, it kind of, you know, breaks the ice with them, right? It's not just like, you know, hey, Dean, like what the hell happened on the weekend? You know, it's yes. more just leading into so. Yeah, you know, you saying that, that 100% agree, that brings me to something I've thought about and talked about or complained about in the past where the the keyboard warriors, um, like with the press conference or other things like that, they always say, oh, all these media guys ask such dumb questions, such shitty questions, uh, and I don't know, like, I always wonder what questions they would ask if they they had the opportunity to do what Steve does or I get to do every once in a while and actually ask these questions because like you said Steve does he does it the right way he does it the way I at least the way I like to listen which is why I listen uh, it's not like um, robotic right it's not the same hey how's your setup this weekend Steve doesn't most of the time you want to talk about stuff like that and uh, I think that's why we all listen uh, I did want to mention the caller Denver the guy Denver calls in and. Uh, he, he's about to win an Atlas brace and there's all this background noise, which at least when I was watching on Facebook, Kellen, maybe when you listened, I heard this background noise the entire time Dean was on. It was clearly Dean's phone, but Denver gets blamed for it. Steve hangs up on him. Thankfully, Denver did call back and they you know, got the got the Atlas brace. But uh, I was kind of like, whoa, whoa, that's not cool. They, they you know, uh, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Uh, Kellen, did you hear the noise the whole time or was it just me? Uh, yeah, I heard the noise going in and out, but I mean, that's just Steve, man. Yeah. It's so funny. I think he, he even enough. did it later in the show, too, where there was a caller that they were going back and forth, like, hello, hello. Yeah. I can't hear you. Hello, hello. Rick? And then he's just like, Rick? all right, see you later, whatever. Yeah, and then just like, hangs up on the guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as that, when he's hosting the show like that, he's got to have some level of, like, a, there's a line, really, where it's like, all right, well, this guy's taking up too much of our time, and it's annoying, so let's just hang up on him. Obviously, in that case, it's unfortunate that it wasn't actually the guy's fault, but I get where Steve comes from sometimes where it's like, ah, this guy's bothering me, I'm hanging up on him, whatever, but it's funny to see for sure. Yeah, well, at least he got the, the Atlas brace, which, um, knew if you, I don't know if you remember this or not, I'd say it was probably three years ago, maybe, it was right before Dallas, within the la- at least three years ago, and you were promoting Atlas, obviously. And I called in and asked the question about. I told you I'd wore the. I had a Generation One Liat. That's what I'd been wearing. And I asked about. You know, hey man, this is before I even had a podcast, so it had to be at least more than three years ago. Uh, you know, like 
tell me why. Sell me on this Atlas. Why is it better? Anyway, it doesn't matter. You you gave me an Atlas brace, so I I won an Atlas brace. Love that thing. It's fantastic. I love the fact that you come on here and get on the show and give those away. Um, that was actually the first prize I ever won on Pulpamex before I was not allowed to win prizes anymore. So thank you. Yeah, no, that was actually, I totally remember that. It was my first show ever. Okay. Uh, that was okay. my first show that I ever done with Steve. So yeah, about three years ago. And that's one thing I'll talk, touch on real quick is so with Atlas, we're a show sponsor. So I kind of, it kind of works hand in hand when I go down there because it's obviously a promotion for, for a product. But man, like we get a lot. I was just telling the guys here in the office today. So just from that show, we didn't even really talk about Atlas that much on the show. We've gotten dove into it a lot deeper before mm-hmm. um, and whatnot and kind of got more on the technical side. We just kind of touched on it on this show and I get over like 55 emails since since Monday. Wow. Um, a a wow. random questions anywhere from people looking for parts, people looking for free braces, people looking for discount codes, people asking technical questions. I don't care because that is one good way for us to be able to gauge like clearly our sponsor dollars are getting something out of this. It's at least interacting with with, you know, the the listeners of the show. So it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of the sponsors. So let me ask you a similar question, Kellen. You were on last week. Um, have you seen a significant amount of followers uh, since then for your, your social media? Uh, I would say, like, significant growth. But one thing that was funny that Steve was kind of ribbing me about in the press box this weekend was, you know, I already have a bit of a following anyway from my, my YouTube channel side of a thing. You're gaming? And so there were people... Yeah, right. So there were people on Steve's Instagram, apparently, that were like, oh, so glad to see Kellen in or, or whatever. Like, I just saw a couple of the comments. And Steve all weekend was like, oh, it's Kellen Army. They're after me. Kellen Army's coming to get me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, geez. So, yeah. But, That's great. No, I mean, it, 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 it's definitely, like Noop was saying, it, it has this, this reach that not many other things in the industry really have, where you don't even have to talk much about something, and it gets instant traction because there's so many fans listening, so many people that are, are you know, consumers, general consumers of products of the sport that want to know more information. Yeah. And it, it's a great asset to have someone like Steve, uh, you know, to bounce all this stuff off of for sure. Awesome. All right, let's 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 start knocking through some of these things quick because I have a few more notes. Um, tits versus Tits was back this week. I enjoy that segment. I, I, I find it funny. I always feel kind of bad for Pookie because she – as she says, she felt it was disgraceful, but I enjoy the segment. Kellen, uh, just do you do you like it? Do you find it fun to to listen to Tits versus Tits? I love it. I, when uh, Tits, the the producer Tits, left the show initially, um, that was one segment that I definitely missed because it was always fun to have that kind of like band. I mean, you know, they're really pretty easy questions that are being asked, and I'm sure that a lot of the uh, people listening are probably yelling yes. into their radio or something like that. How do they not know this? <laughs> They're so connected to the sport with Steve and stuff like that. But obviously from their side, it's just funny to hear them like grinding their brain almost to figure out the answer to a question. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I was so happy to have it back, man. It, it's a really good segment. I, uh, I, I missed it. Agreed. And, and Pookie, uh, Pookie cracking up to the GL. It's a slong shot. <laughs> drop uh the drops are back by the way uh we've talked to town last week you know he's working on it he's got a lot going on but travis now has access to the drops again so i think we're good on drops um okay let's talk about a ray or not a ray uh adam it's naps song it's got a bog look i'm not a hip-hop guy generally don't care much about hip-hop this song even though it was kind of a rip-off of every rose has a storm by poison in the beginning 
cracked me up. The A Ray quote. I know this one dude named Alex Ray who took a brand new bike and blew it up the same day. Fuck, I had me had me in tears almost. Uh, Noof, you kind of gave your thoughts on it, but you know, touch on it again just real quick. What'd you think? I'm. I'll be honest with you guys. I was not a Seven Deuce Deuce uh, rapper fan. Um, I I thought that they were funny, but I listened to them the one time, and that was it. This freaking song, man, is catchy, and I don't know if it's like you said, Dark Side, because it's a bit of a ripoff of every every rose there, but. It is fucking good, man. Like I, I love it in the A-Ray part. The same thing. I couldn't. I, I was freaking in tears a lot. I listened to it. Steve and I and Pookie and Rick, who was with me, we went out for dinner on Sunday night, and he's like, "You got to listen to this yeah. before we put it on the show." And I, I was like, "Dude, that is so awesome! Like it's 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 perfect. It, it, I think it's the best one." Um, that he's done by far. I, I totally agree. And Kellen, the other line was at at the end of the A Ray segment or the A Ray line where he says A Ray blew up the bike on the first day, but it's okay because it only costs two hundred dollars a fix or something along those lines. Yeah, that's <laughs> genius. I know. I, it, this is quintessential Adam Nap, right? As he comes up with this this rap or this way of creating music that that's funny, it's catchy, it's enjoyable to listen to. It's almost like when he tries to be really serious and make a serious rap, it's not as good. But when yeah, he does yeah. this stuff where it's where it's like meant to be almost like a joke. Although it was a great song, of course, but it was like meant to be almost jokingly where they just did it on a whim. Him and his buddy, or his uh, mechanic, Clint, they're like, ah, we'll just do this. And it ended up being... Really funny, really good listen. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Shout out to Clint Lund, who's a mechanic. Clint's a good dude. Um, yeah, so a couple of contests or things going on. I want to mention that Steve mentioned the Electron Carbs on Instagram. That's uh, kind of where the song came from, I guess, is to promote Electron Carbs. So if you got, I'm sure you guys listen to the show. Go to the Electron Instagram. There's a contest going on there. And um, new, you you talked about the the book by uh, it's Brent Worrell, Brent W O R R A L L dot com. Motocross saved my life. Um, I'm gonna check that thing out. I get this is a buddy of yours. Is that right, Noof? Yeah, he's from uh, around. Obviously, when you read the book, he was uh, he was kind of like a, a mini bike sensation back in the late '70s, early '80s. Uh, drugs and alcohol and gambling took over his life, and he never got to really. You know, pursue his career because he had lots of talent up and coming, this yeah. and that, and it goes on to his struggles with life. And and in the end, you know, he comes back to the sport that he loves, that he was so addicted to his whole life, and then ends up getting into a huge crash and ends up being paralyzed. And he talks about all the struggles that he had and how motocross. You know, he still he's like the biggest fan ever, and he's involved in all our local stuff up here. He's announcer at lots of the races. He had a radio show for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So it really connect. It connects with the. With us motocross, you know, um, you know how much we love the sport, and it, it really brings it out. So, yeah, definitely a good, uh, a good read. Yeah, so check that book out, guys. Uh, I'm definitely gonna uh, as soon as we get off here, I'm gonna look at that and probably order that book. Um, I called in. You know, I get shit on all the time. Steve loves shitting on on me. Let's give me a hard time, but some of his some of his criticism I agree with. Um, you guys, I know, listen. So when he tells me that I can have JT on, even though he doesn't listen to the show. 
it's a big contradiction to what he normally tells me because I was told I couldn't have Daniel Blair on when he didn't listen to a particular episode. Uh, and then he tells me that I can have JT just talk about the passes and the writing we just saw the night before or the weekend before, which then becomes the review show, which he already does. So, Steve, man, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow all these rules you give me. It just changes week to week. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's Steve Forrest. All right, so a couple more things here. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at my notes real quick. Uh, JT says that Eli's in a better position early than ever before. I think that's a really good point. I still think Eli's the guy that probably in the long run that's going to be the guy to beat. Do you agree with JT, Kellen? I do because he's right. I mean, Eli has never been this close in the championship through four rounds. He's always had at least one weird race, basically. Yeah, yeah, you could say Anaheim 1 was the weird race. I mean, he got a step in the arm pump, but then he kind of fixed it moving forward and has been pretty solid at least the last two weeks. Um could he still have that bad race before we're completely out of the out of the West Coast or something like that? Uh, we could, but like JT said, I mean, he's close in the points. He's only eight points down. Um, he could even be leading the points before we go east, and that's usually when he gets the ball rolling and starts clicking off wins. I think we even did a stat on Racer X once where in January his average finish was like 5.6 or something like that, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the season is like 4.2. So... To get through January 2nd in the points and only eight points down is, I, I think, huge for him. Uh, yeah, I agree. Okay, a couple more topics. Uh, you guys talked about new 250 East. Uh, who's the guy, you know, who do you think's the winner, You or who's going to be the guy to beat? You pick Sexton. JT said McElrath uh, and some questions about J-Mart being a podium guy or not. Uh, I think the 250 East is going to be a lot more, a lot close, more close, I can't even speak, a lot closer than maybe people were thinking um, new why Sexton? I mean, obviously he's the, the former champion. He's the defending champion. I think that's probably the good pick. But there's some, there's still some other guys that I think are going to be very competitive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no question. I, I agree. It, it's uh, the East Coast. I mean, not that the West isn't isn't weak by any means, but you know, lots of these guys that had injuries in the in the off season or weren't quite 100 percent ready. It's given them an extra month and a half or a month or so to to prepare. I go with Sexton because just knowing um, a little bit of a story, and obviously he's an Atlas guy too, but that's not why I pick him for the for the thing. But I have some communication with his with his dad and stuff like that on a regular basis. I mean, he was ready to freaking go um, come West Coast. I mean, they they wanted him on the West. He was ready, you know. He was prepared and everything like that. And then obviously he was an idiot on a pit bike and broke his collarbone. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just think that he has the confidence of winning the championship last year. I mean, yeah. Forkner threw it away, but you got to be in it to win it. I mean, he yeah. was getting better. Sexton was getting closer every weekend before that happened. Um, I just think that he wants to go out with a bang here with his 250 career. I mean, his 250 career is over. It seems like it just started, but his 250 career is done. He's moving to 450s for outdoors for um, for Honda. So I just feel that he has the momentum. I think the bike, personally, is a lot better this year than last year, from what I hear, okay. uh, motor-wise and everything. He's a bigger dude, um, and I know that he had some issues with some power, and especially outdoors. But, I mean, look at the starts that Craig was getting and stuff like that, and obviously Jet Lawrence. So I think they kind of figured some stuff out on the bike side. Um, I just think he's got the momentum rolling into Tampa. Okay. Uh, and Kellen, uh, caller Brian called in and asked, uh, you know, what do you think about Brock to JGR? And Steve says, yep, 
Uh, as far as I know, uh, there hasn't been an official announcement. You you would know probably better than I would. Um, let's, so let's just say, well, unless you know it, ha- it has happened. If this does happen, uh, do you agree that's a good move? You think that's good for JGR? Steve says they need some luck, which clearly they do. But I don't know, as much as I like Brock, that he's going to be you know, super competitive. Hopefully he'll be consistent. But whether he's actually you know, top 10, 15, I, I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a good move just because they need anybody at all on the track. Fair. And I think they'd prefer not to have Alex Martin jump on a 450, uh, <laughs> yeah. so to have Brock jump in and be able to handle that role. I mean, they, they, you know, they sent Norrin, they sent Dakotas out, but they were almost expected to be borderline main event guys to begin with, which they were. Tickle, you send out there. I think he's pretty clearly going to be a main event guy. Does he finish maybe top 10? Probably not. I think right off the bat, he's going to have to get into the swing of things a little bit. But if the end goal is just to get a Suzuki in the main event, Tickle will do that, and that's something that they absolutely need to accomplish. Agreed. All right, last topic, and then I have a question, and so we're almost done. The Race Tech rant, uh, fly pants on backwards. You guys called Oldenburg Noof. Uh, he called back. I still, the question that I didn't hear I mean, you guys kind of hinted at is the thing has a zipper. It has a latch. I mean, I don't that right there. How the f does that freaking happen? And I love that Oldenburg said, "Yeah, I noticed. I just didn't say anything." But Steve's right. Like that was ridiculous. There's a freaking zipper. Like the guy. I almost feel like it's almost impossible. I, I don't know, Kelly. Give, give me your thoughts because Newf already talked about it. Give me your thoughts on this uh, poor news guy that had the pants on backwards. I know. It's so weird. The only thing I can think of is that, you know, news people are just casual people in general. I don't think know much about motorcycle riding or dirt bikes or whatever. So he could have maybe just thought that's what it is. It's a, it's a rear zip pants. I don't, I don't know why. Do I don't like that, that explanation. I don't like the explanation either, but it's the only one I can think of. It doesn't make any sense. Like, how do you how do you put that on and realize there's basically a pouch where your your area is, right. and then in the back it's really tight, and you're pulling the zipper up and trying to latch it at the same time. I, the I, I don't get it. Unless someone else put his pants on for him, but I I don't know. I don't I, know. It's I would love to get the, find out who this guy was and ask. But uh, okay, last question for you guys, and then we'll get into uh, we'll let you guys go, and we'll do hello Pookie after you guys are gone. Um, Adam Mitznab obviously was on the phone this week on Monday night. Uh, he's you know been just short a couple weeks. He's been right there. This week, no bogle, no blows. Does Adam Mitznab Noof make the main event uh, in Oakland? I gave you guys my hot take on that. He's freaking trying to wrap up this privateer challenge thing early before he makes a main. That was my whole okay. whole prediction. <laughs> All right, so you say no, uh, <laughs> Kellen? What do you think, man? I want to say yes because I like these dudes, but it, I, I think it starts need to get better. I think that's what's killing him because yeah. he just gets bad starts in the LCQ and then has to dig his way all the way back to this very edge of transfer, and then it doesn't happen. So I think, again, this week, I think someone's going to get better starts than him in the LCQ if he's in it again, and, and he'll have to struggle his way to get to a transfer. All right, good takes. Um, Ryan and uh, Kellen, thank you guys so much for coming on, taking some time tonight. I hope it wasn't too painful. I really enjoyed it, but I appreciate you guys. Yeah, man, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Uh, You guys hang tight. We'll be back with Hello Pookie, but other than that, we're out of here.
Hey, I'm back, and I've got the beautiful Pookie Mathis on the line for another episode of Hello, Pookie. Pookie, how are you tonight? I'm good, bro. Hello, hello. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm always great when I get to talk to you. It's way better than talking to your husband. <laughs> thanks, thanks, bro. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so this week's question is, uh, what are some of your favorite movies from your childhood, and how did they influence your childhood? Movies? Oh, man. Yeah. I have a five-way tie for, for first place. I have a five-way tie. Well, let's talk about all five of them. If I can remember all five okay. of them. Oh, you don't uh, even... Okay. <laughs> well, mine, mine I know easy. I have a five-way yeah. tie. Mine's Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, maybe Pulp Fiction and Star me, Wars. Right? Yeah, anyway. No, mine are mine are much more random than that. Okay, let's do uh, it. My, so my favorite movie of all time is When Harry Met Sally. It's a classic, like, romantic uh, comedy from the 80s. Um. My other one of my other top favorite movies is called Peggy Sue Got Married. It's another movie from the eighties with Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage, and they are play high school sweethearts who go back in time to their twenty from their twenty fifth high school reunion. They go back in time, and she redoes everything from high school to try to change her life. Okay. Oh, I just I've always loved that movie. I, that's why I'm obsessed with my own high school reunion. That's one of the <laughs> yeah. reasons why I planned both of them so I could go to them just because I don't know something about nostalgia maybe or something. Sure, um, I love that movie. Um, Another one of my top favorite movies is Mean Girls. Um, I'm dressing as um, Karen from Mean Girls for Halloween tomorrow, just with a you know a t-shirt and some ears, but it's gonna be super cute. Right. Um, so mean, mean Girls is a total like a classic, you know, right? Girly girl movie. But oh, yeah. yeah, I just love it. I yeah. can my... recite every line with my friends. So yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, let me think. I another one is um, another movie from I think it's from the '80s. It's got Jonathan Silverman in it. It's called Brighton Beach Memoirs. It's really, I don't even know if it's, it might be a, like a B movie or something. Yeah, I don't it's know set that one. In like, it's set in Brooklyn in the 19, maybe 50s or 40s, 40s. Yeah, it's got to be. And um, it's just about a young boy going through puberty in his own, he, he's a writer, so he narrates the story to himself. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, a series of misfortunate events kind of a thing. And he's just awkwardly adorable. And I just always loved that movie. Brighton Beach Memoirs. If you guys haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's really funny. Yeah, I've never even heard of it, so I'll have to check that out. <laughs> um, what's my other top five favorite movie? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's got to be some kind of rom-com or something. <laughs> well, since you can't remember right now, just as growing up as a teenager and kid, like, did these movies influence you? Like, uh, you know, so mostly you're into romantic comedies, clearly. Uh, did it make you, you know, as a girl, clearly I'm not a girl, uh, like, as, did you like look for love and try to want some of these situations to happen when you're in school or how? No, no, those movies probably really didn't influence my childhood. When you say movies influence my childhood, that, that makes me think of like R-rated comedies that I had no business watching as a child <laughs> because my yeah. parents were just like, yeah, F it, whatever. Movies like Bachelor Party. Yeah. And, you know, even Weird Science was a yep. little bit, you know, sketchy at the time. I was pretty young and. Yeah, um, yeah, movies like that my parents were super into, and they kind of just let us watch whatever we wanted. So, mm. yeah, R-rated comedies like that, Revenge of the Nerds, and That's yeah, what, stuff yep. like that. Uh-huh. That's the one that so came to my mind. Really reminds me of it. Yeah, that one came to my mind. Like, my parents rented it. This is back in the day when movie rentals, it was early in the rental days, and... Hell, we might have even been renting the VCR at the time, but they left to go somewhere, and I basically fast-forwarded to the dirty parts and just watched the dirty parts before <laughs> they came home. And then have to memorize the timestamp on it. Well, I had to find them because I'd never seen it. I just had to like, you know, I don't. I just remember fast forwarding and then um, 
Police Academy also was another one I watched when they were yes. they, they rented and they left and I watched it and yeah I wasn't supposed to so yeah I'm on board with that that's that yeah that's kind of the stuff I was thinking about just like childhood stuff like uh, man what's the one with Patrick Swayze uh, Red Dawn the original Red Dawn like stuff like that oh okay I don't yeah you don't obviously that you don't remember that one but yeah the eighties no. just mid eighties type stuff you know that that's that's the stuff that I remember kind of like um, the Wraith and Revenge of the Nerds you talk about. And, but anyway, yeah, kind of raun- raunchy comedies like that. Yep. Yeah. Those kind of things just remind me of being a kid. Yeah. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And then, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street. That's another one. Yeah. <laughs> Horror. <laughs> I love Freddy. Oh yeah. All the prom night. It didn't matter. We would stay up all night watching the dumbest, the movies that now when you watch them, they're not scary at all. But as, at 10, 11 years old, they were, yeah, they'd give you nightmares. It was awesome. Freddy Krueger, Jason, yeah, all that stuff. So, so yeah. Funny. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally just brings you back, right? The, <laughs> it the does. Time, I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah, a better time, right? I mean, now, like, there's so many movies that you, you just can't even, you, I don't I don't know if kids today, like, f- go watch a movie and they're just obsessed with it, where they watch it over and over, because there's so much to watch and so many movies every week. It's kind of, it's kind of sad. You know, it is. I know. I wish I, yeah, I wish I could do more, did more like watching new ones or anything like that, but I just am not into it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. Um, yeah. Other than like I'm uh, Star Wars, you know, December, <laughs> December 19th. Oh my God. Hey, I, I have, I already have my tickets for Thursday night at at 10 o'clock, ready, ready to go. The, the premiere of the new Star Wars. So we're ready. You know what? I love it. I always appreciate a super fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I yeah. feel that. You know what I don't appreciate though is when Steve and JT do their every for the last couple of years they've done a Star Wars review, but Dark Side doesn't get a call at all. Oh really? They don't. Nah, I'm not yeah. really. You know, I'm 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 low on the total pole of that stuff, and I, I'm just joking. I get it, but I listen to them, and I'm always like, "No, dude, you you missed this party. You didn't understand this." And I could I feel like I could have input because I'm a dork. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're learning about the situation. Exactly, sure. but that's cool. <laughs> anyway, all right, Pookie, I'm going to let you go and get back to your okay. real life and not have to deal with this boring stuff anymore, but I, I always appreciate you taking time for us. No worries. It's always a pleasure, bro. All right, Pookie, have a good evening, and I will talk to you next time. Okay, talk to you next time, guys. See ya. Why would you want to talk, re-talk about the Pulp Show? <laughs> <laughs>